Okay, we're though a, a massive episode. Uh, this one we've uh, we've got former head coach of the Southeast Melbourne Phoenix, Simon Mitchell, coming up. We'll either attach it to this. Um, so if you're looking at this in the episodes, uh, an hour and a half of long, it's because we've got our interview with Simon Mitchell at the end. Otherwise. Um, if it looks like it's about 40-odd minutes, uh, it'll be coming out the next day or two. Before we get started, though, and Wertho, before you get moving, uh, we'd love if you're enjoying this and you're listening to this for a reason, wherever it is that you listen, can you please give us a like, uh, rate us, give us a comment, whatever it is that's going to help us get heard by more basketball people out there. But um, enough of that. Wertho, how are you? I'm good, mate. I'm good. Um I mean, we've got a lot of basketball happening at the moment, so it's a good time to be a basketball fan, whether you wake up in the morning and watch the NBA, it's the afternoon over a stretched long weekend of the NBL, the WNBL in process as well, the league starting last week. There's just so much uh, basketball and I'm, I'm, I'm here for it. I'll tell you what, I want to start with the WNBL. Um, I went to the game on Saturday night, uh, the South the Southside Flyers and, and the Melbourne Boomers. And I turned up 20 minutes before the game. The line was genuinely 200 metres long, snaked its way all the way around the courts of the State Basketball Centre. So I jumped in the back of the line. I got towards the front and there's a QR code and it said, you can't get tickets at the front, scan this and grab your tickets now. We'll scan them on the way in. And so I went to do that and there were quite literally 20 tickets left available. So we, we got a ticket. And I must admit, I didn't sit all the way in the back row. I was very lucky to uh, to meet one of my old mates who's a security guard. I stood in the function room and, and had a couple of CC and drives. But the the quality of game, the quality of player, the, the turnout from the Melbourne basketball fans was to be commended. It was a great product. It was a close game. Um, I'll tell you what, it's, it leads me into my first observation and yeah, we're going to, we, we got into this with Simon, but, you know, one of the areas as we come into an Olympic year is uh, with the Opals is, in my mind, the lack of, a, of many pure point guards here in Australia. Steph Reed is clearly a pure point guard. Um, I've loved Georgia Amor overplaying at Virginia Tech for a number of years. It's, it's going to be, it's hard to see her being included in the squad and then making a team. And as I watched the boomers play jordan canada their import point guard is outstanding she's shifty she's got great touch over the head passes she reads the game great she was an absolute pleasure to watch i've seen her play in round one over in adelaide got her legs underneath her but for those wmbl fans out there go and watch the boomers watch jordan canada play um if you're the flyers lj you know, we, we saw a little cameo, 10 or ten or 15 odd minutes from LJ and she looked like she hadn't played in a year, but uh, she's going to help that squad. Did you see any WNBL Wertho? Well, I'll, I'll go closer to home with the, the Perth Lynx and Annalie Maley with 22 rebounds in her first game uh, in Lynx colours again. And uh, just a workhorse. And obviously she's been a good player in this league for a number of years now. Uh, 
mainly because her engine's probably larger than anyone else in, in the competition, but uh, just her willingness to get to the boards, uh, that's not a skill thing, that's a will thing. And um, If you're a supporter of the Perth Lynx, you enjoy seeing that effort continually uh, night in, night out, and that's what you're going to get from Adelaide. Across the, the NBL and the WNBL, as we transition across to the men as well, it was Indigenous round, and nearly everyone that you speak to loves the idea. There's, yeah, there, there was a little bit of a hiccup though, and we saw it in both leagues. Is that the teams have to be a little bit careful when they're designing their Indigenous jerseys that they don't all design them in the same or similar colour. It was really, really hard to watch some of the games. Two dark uniform teams with patterns playing against each other made it a really difficult watch on TV floating out. Did you get that at all? Yeah, I think the biggest stuff up probably came from Tasmania <laughs> with the jack jumpers and their their outfit um, when the guy did uh, dot artwork, uh, which is not a thing in Tasmania. They, they don't use uh, dot work, uh, artwork, I should say. And I went through this when I coached Bunbury, um, it's really hard to try and capture everything within your region or your city when it comes to it because you ultimately offend someone or there's something that another uh, tribe, so to speak, doesn't like about the design because it doesn't speak to their people. Um, and I think that's just part of the growth of Australia and understanding and respecting that, that side of things that um, people that make those decisions probably need to do a bit more consulting with the locals uh, for their not to have had that mistake that happened at Tasmania. So the intent, I think, is great. 10 out of 10 for intent. The execution, not quite there, but let's hope they get it just a touch better next, uh, next year round. Um, I'm going to let you take over this one. You messaged me during the week. You wanted to speak about the officiating in the NBL. Yeah, I think there's been just a, a lot online about how many calls are being made um, currently. Um, and far from me to be the person to ever protect an umpire, but if we go back to the Brisbane South East Melbourne game uh, that started the round, so much about the number of fouls that were called. I was watching and they were, they were fouling. It, that wasn't on the umpires. It's up to the players to adjust to the way that the game's been refereed. And even in that game, there were dumb fouls that people were taking uh, where if you reach in and you grab them by the arm, they're going to have to call a foul. Now, were there a couple of soft ones? There, there always is in, the, in a, a game of basketball. They're always going to be the touch ones that can go one way or another. I'm glad to see when Big Source got his fifth one originally that they reviewed it and it got overturned uh, because that wasn't a foul whatsoever. But for the most part, it's it's up to the players did, to did, adjust. Did you see his other one where he had one oh. hand on the guy's hip? He dropped one hand down across his arm or shoulder. Mm -hmm. The most obvious foul in the world, but as soon as the whistle got blown... He moved both arms straight up, showing the referee's hand, saying, I had my hand straight up the whole time. Well, you didn't. It was mm. clearly a foul. There's got to be a greater responsibility 
from the players to actually defend better. There, there right. are so many lazy fouls out there. We, we see reaching. Uh, we see a lot of moving screens. We see frustration fouls. Um, the, the biggest one for me, I, um, Sam Wardenberg from the Cairns Taipans, I, I watched him preseason and a lot of a lot of things that happened in the games in the preseason seemed to be affecting him. I've never spoken a word to him in my life, but he, the game he played on the weekend against the Southeast Melbourne Phoenix, I, I'm not sure I've seen as an undisciplined as an undisciplined performance from a player that his team depends on in a long, long time. You know, a couple of errors on the offensive end, and he just. Swung and two cheap fouls in the backcourt, ninety feet away from his own rim. You know, head down, hand, head in hands. You know, poor me, woe is me. To the extent where Taj McCall's like, mate, you can't do that. That it was, you know, it's there's got to be as much responsibility from the players when it comes to the officiating. And well, on this, I didn't want to interrupt you before, but you picked this up in one other episode. It's really obvious you're living in an AFL women's household at the moment when you're calling out referees, umpires. Yeah. So I'll just remind you that the referees in basketball and umpires in football. The, the, the blind people, that's what I meant. <laughs> I think you're all the way back there. Hmm. Um, hey, this week, we're, we're, you know, because we've got Simon coming up with... Um, again, we're not going over game wraps or anything like that. I, I, I wanted to talk in you know, umbrella terms or blanket terms of, of the round. And I'll go first, but I, I thought the big winner of the round in the NBL this week was one of the teams, the Sydney Kings, the three-time defending champions. They they went 2-0 and on the round. You know, really, really convincing win against Illawarra and a, you know, almost a get-out-of-jail win against a, a New Zealand Breakers team who played very well and fought their way back and were desperate for a win. But I don't just say it because of the 2-0 and and getting back on track after a couple of losses. I say it because they've been able to reintegrate DJ Hogue into the lineup. He's someone who's going to be absolutely critical in their championship defence. So to get two wins while he's integrating himself back in, stay in touch with that top two spot and automatic berth into the semifinals, I just thought it was huge for them. Yeah, well, as as we do this podcast right now, it's an, an hour till the last game of the round with uh, Perth and Melbourne. But uh, my win of the round so far is the Wildcats starting Hiram Harris over Jordan Usher. Um, as that team needed someone that was were willing to do all the, the so-called dirty stuff, the screening, the rebounding, being unselfish as a passer, um, I really like, I liked him as a player before he came to Perth and being able to watch him a little bit closer now and what he's able to do. Um, in stark comparison to the week before where uh, he didn't get many minutes, Jesse Wagstaff played zero minutes, uh, finding those guys minutes and maybe it was a matchup thing with Adelaide, but the Wildcats seemed to look better than what they did and Jesse Wagstaff having that, chat where the microphone was in we're up 20 we, this is the time that we put the foot on the throat not let a team back in um, I think that's just where Perth that's at the moment and if they can steal a win this afternoon versus Melbourne it would be a very good week and weekend for them my loser of the round 
is the Cairns Taipans. Yeah, and, and the continual downfall. Um, Taron Armstrong's had a rough start to his NBL career with with turnovers. Uh, you talked about Sam Wardenberg. Um, I find that he's in a very similar position to where Bull Quall was last year. Constantly find himself in foul trouble with ill-disciplined play. Now, Bull Quall's had a great start to this season and been very reliable and has bet on himself to get a big contract next year and it will be for another club um, by the looks of it. But um, the Taipans just haven't quite found their mojo. Obviously, the US... NBA trip has uh, taken its toll on on them as well. I'd like to see more of Sam Menenga. I think he's a really talented big that we can get more from him. Uh, obviously, integrating McCall back into it because he's missed uh, a couple of weeks now. Taron Armstrong, his first weekend, has a huge upside. Uh, but as they currently sit, I think three and four on the ladder. Um, and the way that they played that last game, very heavy on the turnovers uh as 40 said hopefully they learn from it hopefully they'll move forward i don't think there'll be too much of an overreaction from him uh but just shoring up the fights finding that fine line between discipline and letting them play that style of t- basketball that we've come to grow to love with the taipans um will be interesting going forward I had the same. I, you know, they went 0 and 2. They lost to New Zealand, who at the time were 1 and 4. You know, they lost to them by 13. They lost to the Phoenix by 10. You know, they didn't, they weren't the competitive team, as you said, that we've got new. So I'd, just to go back to the Wildcats for a minute, I, one thing I learned maybe a little bit too late when I coached, but I was really, really strong on it later in my coaching career with state teams. Um, when you look down the bench as a coach, you, if I'm going to lose, and John really, I think, would be in this stage, hey, if I'm going to lose, I'm going down with the guys that I trust and the guys that I know are going to battle, not the talented guys, the guys who are going to fight. Um, I, I think really's gotten there. Like, he's lying in the sand. I don't care how talented you are. I know when I look down, whether he makes a shot or not, Hiram Harris is going to compete. Unequivocally, he's going to compete. That's what they need. Mm-hmm. that's what the Wildcats culture was. And I think that's what it needs to get back to. So I agree. I, I didn't have that on my list, but that's a really, really um, good take. And, and, and just from this last game, it's the first time in probably over two years I saw them get a backdoor cut for Bryce Cotton to get a layup. Like that was one of our biggest fears as a scout when the dribble handoff was coming from the elbow area to Bryce Cotton coming out of the corner Teams were so engaged in locking in that they try to almost top block him, and you'd give up a a, a back uh, backdoor layup to him. It's the first time in two years I've seen that Bryce Cotton's got a backdoor layup, and he got it multiple times. And I was just like, "There's a small part of uh, the ghost of Trevor Gleason that." worked really well for the Wildcats that led to Bryce Cotton getting more open shots because of the fear of the backdoor cut. Have you enjoyed the NBA this week? Um, There's a lot to take in. Um, And I'm going to sound really negative here, and I'll start on the negatives. But I really worry about New York Knicks, and I really worry about the Milwaukee Bucks. The Knicks... 
I worry because Julius Randle is an absolute coach killer. I'm, I'm set on it now. Most, he's one of the most inconsistent players I've ever seen. Um, so whether it was his shots, shot selection or his body language, his defense, this week was a terrible week for Julius Randle. And if you're a Knicks fan and you hated him before, I feel like you hate him even more now. And let's be honest, Knicks fans were ready to get rid of him at the end of last season, ripping down his poster post game. Like they wanted nothing to do. You've got a solid point guard, a very, very solid point guard, Jalen Brunson, who is all hard. Who had a 40 point game in a loss to Milwaukee. Correct. Um, you got Josh Hart. You, you, you've got pieces there that you like. I don't know who would want to take on a Julius Randle, the current Julius Randle that we're seeing right now. Is he the worst player in the league? Obviously, he's got all NBA versus his name next to his name in the last couple of seasons. Um, but the attitude part is the worrying bit. The second bit was the Milwaukee Bucks. Uh, I heard this on the Bill Simmons podcast and I, I didn't realise it at the time, but Dame going to Milwaukee not only strengthened the Boston Celtics because they found a way to get Drew Holiday, but also killed Miami at the same time. <laughs> uh, there is no fear when it comes to the Milwaukee Bucks. They're currently three and two on the ladder. Um, you could argue that they've just out out talented teams to this point, but the defensive uh, front door that Drew Holiday had for the Milwaukee Bucks was such an important piece that they no longer have. Well, they've gone from a top five team consistently defensively in the NBA to twenty second best, mm-hmm. like that. You know, Dame Lillard's the one hundred and sixty sixth best, or probably worst defender in the league in individual matchup situations. So it's a, it's a big concern that, you know, he mentioned when he came to the Bucks, he hasn't played with a guy like Giannis. He's used to being the unequivocal number one guy. So he's adjusted on the offensive end. He's had a couple of quiet offensive games, plus his inability to defend. Look, I'm sure that they'll figure that out, but they're going to take their lumps early in the season as they go along and they're going to be really, really beatable until they figure it out. It was interesting. We, we, we might as well start this the same way. We're going to go a winner and loser. And I had Milwaukee for that exact reason defensively as one of my losers. The other one is the Memphis Grizzlies who, um, as I wrote it, they would, were down to Portland who were really, really bad as well. And they had a, a really big fourth quarter to get their first win of the season. But, yeah, they sit one and six. Jar Morant's got another 18 games out. Yeah, there's there's a world where Jar Morant can come back to a five and twenty team, and the season's just done. The West is too good. You had them in your tips last week of missing out on the plane altogether, and that looks more and more like a really fantastic call each game that goes on. The- uh, just can I, can I ask you? Obviously, we both go for Dallas five and one start. Well, they're my me- winner. Yeah. Look, can I stop you there? Because I, I, without even t- chatting to you, I knew you were going to have them as a winner. Yeah. I will say that Dallas is the biggest fool's gold in the NBA at the moment. So they've got a 5-1 and one record. 
Yep. Tell me the, who they're beating. San Antonio Spurs. Yep. A Brooklyn team, a Memphis team, a Chicago team, and a Charlotte team. And their loss, the Denver Nuggets. They've had a very cushy start to the season. Yes, they've still got to win those games. You could argue uh, out of that, Brooklyn is probably their best win out of those teams. Um, but uh, I, I keep on looking at it and I'm like, don't get sucked into thinking that this is a really good team because I don't think that they are. I, I, I like that's what why lively... it's, that's why it's a weekly thing. The, mm. I agree. You can only yeah. beat the teams you play. Yeah. And they've done that. And, you know, but, it, 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 might my... be, it might be about time that Luka Doncic comes into a season with a mindset of, hey, I, I want to take a swing at an MVP award. He hasn't. He's been top three. He's been top five. I don't think anyone ever thought he was going to win one. Mm-hmm. He started well enough to be considered one of the absolute front runners. Yeah, but my 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 weekly winner uh, has to be Boston, doesn't it? How do you go past what the Boston Celtics have done, putting their roster together, and being the only undefeated team in the NBA? Go on, you, you're going to say the Spurs and Victor Wembanyama, aren't you? No, I'm going to say that Jokic and his off-season drinking and still manages <laughs> to kill people. <laughs> that that video that video. I'm not sure if you saw it on uh, Twitter slash X, but it was, you know, Giannis in the gym lifting weights and then it was Jokic riding a horse and then it was Dame Lillard getting up shots and then it was Jokic flipping off a raft and all these things of, like, all these guys that do all the workouts and somehow this massive serve that doesn't have a basketballer's body is just destroying people week in and week out and I I'm here for it. For 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 the the mobesity team, the mobile obesity. He is the all time <laughs> obesity team. Yeah, he is he is the all time leader of the mobesity team, the captain, the coach and the, the GM and uh, I I just love everything that he does. Well he's on the next list I've got in front of me. I, I put a poll up on Twitter and was actually really surprised as to how engaged people got and how many opinions they had. And it actually came about, and we're not even going to talk about the James Harden trade. All I'll say is good good luck to the Clippers. Um, But people were trying to remind us that James Harden remains one of the best passers in the NBA. So I thought I'll go to Twitter and say, okay, who is the best passer in the NBA and before I ask you your opinion there are a lot of names that came up but I've narrowed it down to the top one, two, three, four to the top eight in in most people's minds so here's the list Can I I just give you my two? I just want to give you two Okay One is Jokic and the other is the slob wizard himself Josh Giddy. Well, the, the, so here's my list. Josh Giddy, Nikola Jokic, Chris Paul. I don't think Chris Paul's the best passer in the NBA. He's a great leader and he's a great facilitator. But mm-hmm. LeBron, I don't think mm-hmm. LeBron's the best. He's an incredible passer. He's incre- I don't think he's the best. Tyrese Halliburton got a lot of mentions as the best passer. He might get there, like Josh is getting there already, but... James Harden's on the list, Lamello's on the list, and Luka Doncic is on the list. Is it still Jokic and Giddy for you? 
yeah, best classes absolutely. in the NBA. Absolutely. Hands down. Those two have got the best vision, uh, IQ and vision to see uh, what Josh is able to do. I mean, the fact that he's got a highlight reel of what he's able to do from a sideline out of bounds <laughs> is, is incredible. And I mean, how can you not be impressed what Jokic does night in and night out with his passing side of things? Like, he's an unselfish superstar that I think you'd be happy if he's he scored two points a game, but someone who's able to score around the 20s, grab 10 to 15 rebounds and then average near on 10 assists a game, like, incredible. I've got Jokic as the top of the list. I love Giddy. I've seen it firsthand and just to put him in the conversation of one of the best two or three passes in the NBA already is a credit to him. But for now, I think I'm with you. I've got Nikola Jokic. Um, it's about time we spoke about how the Aussies are going in the NBA, in the NBA and it leads to another conversation as we yeah, as the Olympics draw closer, I suppose. And you mentioned at the end of last season when we wrapped up the World Cup that one of the things the Boomers don't have is the guy, a player who's the guy on his team. And we still don't now. You know, Josh Giddy, Josh Green, Dyson Daniels, they're all playing very significant roles. Josh, the biggest role out of anyone, but... Interesting enough, Ben Simmons, out of all of the Aussies in the in the NBA, has probably the best statistical averages the first two weeks into the season. So I'm just going to rip through them. So Josh Giddy's averaging 13, 6.5 and 4. Simmons is averaging 7.5, 10 and over 7 assists per game. Josh Green's 8.8, 2.8 assists and a couple of rebounds, 2.8 rebounds, a couple of assists. Dyson Daniels, six, four and a half and three. And then it really drops off all the way down to Paddy Mills has not played a minute in this NBA season. Now, Paddy Mills is the guy when a lot of Australian basketball fans and certainly casual basketball observers think about the Boomers and our ability to compete at any international tournament, and then we'll think back to the game against Slovenia where Paddy played the best game of basketball I've ever seen someone play in a Boomers jersey. There's every likelihood that Paddy Mills hits the Olympic Games having not played a, a, a game of basketball in a year leading up to the pre-tournament games, which has got to be concerning for the Boomers. It is concerning. However, it would be more concerning in years gone past the fact that he does have help. Um, and I think it's going to be interesting for Gorge to integrate Giddy and Simmons together. Can as... he do it? That's been... Andrew Bogut's been big on this and you know, neither of them shoots the ball well. Can he do it? I mean, Simmons is going to have to play the four or the five. I think, Simmons, I, think Simmons play plays the, I think Simmons plays the four. And was really used into that Draymond Green style of play within the Boomers. Um, I don't envy Gorge and what he has to do. Um, if we could make Paddy more of a spot-up shooter than what he's been in the past, which has been a heavy ball-use guy, 
lots of running around to make shots and you know he's an incredible shooter and been able to do it but i can see a usage for patty as a knockdown shooter which really the boomers haven't had uh that capability they've needed patty to be a playmaker that makes shots now that they've got a josh now that they've got a ben simmons um does that open Patty up a little bit more? And I feel a lot more comfortable about him getting open shots than him making shots off the dribble. Um, so, yeah, big task so, for Gorge, but can it work? I, I believe Josh and Ben can work, um, but Patty's usage would go way down. So, so go back to the Damian Lillard conversation. Mm-hmm. Is Patty? Um, you know, why why can't he get a minute in the NBA? Is he it, it, clearly it's the defensive side of things? Yep. But you know, as he gets older and he hits his mid thirties, has he become a defensive liability? Are, the, are his li- and I'm playing devil's advocate here. Are his defensive liabilities as he gets closer to the end of his career? Do they outweigh what he's able to produce offensively? especially after 12 months of not playing basketball. Or it has in the NBA already. I mean, Jack Bourne pretty, was open about he couldn't find a way to play Paddy because of the defensive side of things. And he bounced around to four teams, landed in Atlanta, and he again, he hasn't played a minute. Yeah. And, you know, maybe that's a reflection on, uh, you know, where Atlanta are at the moment, which... Uh, they're three and two, I think, as as we talk right now uh, in the standings, they're, they're doing quite well. Um, but I think it's the transitional period that needs to happen for the Boomers, where you know we we don't need Paddy to be that guy as much because he does have help, and we do have good talent. And you know what, we will need those lead-up games to the Olympics to actually count for a little bit more due to the fact that if this is the first time of having Ben Simmons in this team, um, we're going to need to find a way for for uh, Ben and Josh to work. But I can see a world where they do work together. And, it, and I think Ben brings so much more to the Boomers defensively than what people know as well. The other... His running mate for such a long time now is Joe Ingalls, um, who'll be nearly 37 years old when the Olympic Games roll around and, you know, struggled at the World Cup and has struggled offensively with the Orlando Magic. And I read a really good article and I should have had it up, but uh, Jamal Mosley, their head coach, spoke about how great a locker room presence Joe is, how much of a settling influence he is, how he's educating his younger teammates about what it takes to be a pro but authentically, and it was such a nice article. If you go and find it, go and look it up. It won't be hard to find. But having said that, Joe's another one who's still going to, I'm just assuming Joe makes a team, but at nearly 37 years old and a tendency at the World Cup to turn down shots, and more so this NBA season with the Magic turned down a lot of shots, he's another guy that's going to hit a major event for Australia. And probably be required to play a very different role than what he's been playing for the last 18 months. 
at what, what stage, at, at what stage does this? I know God will tell you it's a problem he wants. To, he's looking forward to solving this issue. But at what stage do we actually get concerned if these guys can't earn minutes throughout the NBA season? Once again, probably an issue if it was two or three years ago would be a concern, but we've got the emergence of Josh Green, Dyson Daniels. We've, we've got wings there. What Joe can bring to this, and I was very heavy when people were criticising in this last campaign that he got thrown into a position that he is not used to, which is a ball spot. Who solves that problem? Ben Simmons. We've now got Ben Simmons who becomes a playmaker in the four position um, and allows Joe, once again, similar to Paddy, to be a set your feet, knockdown shooter, to be able to spread the floor. I think you have to respect guys like Joe. You've got to respect Paddy. If they're on the perimeter, you can't shrink the floor as much as what you would like. Um, they are old enough to be good enough pros to still be getting in the gym and knock down a shot when their time is coming. Um so while they're not getting the minutes and the usage rate that they we've become accustomed to seeing them get, um, their roles within the Burmers team to become knockdown shooters, I think you, I couldn't ask for two better guys to be ready for when that time is. So take less of the responsibility of playmaking out of their hands and more of a responsibility of them being knockdown shooters. In the next few weeks, I'm going to ask you if Matthew Dellavedova, when we see him come back, has a chance to make that Boomers team again based on performance. We'll leave that for, an, for another day. But coming up, we've got Simon Mitchell. Um, the interview is a rip. We talk about his time at United. We talk about an interesting story about uh, Draymond Green and how close Draymond Green came to playing in the NBL and how Simon had a role in that, uh, the, the role of high performance we talk about our style of play in the NBL. We talk about the Next Star program and whether or not Simon uh, thinks an NBL team can win with a high-performing NBL one star, uh, a Next Star. But uh, that's enough for this part. We'll take a short break. We'll be back with Simon Mitchell. Cheers, mate. Well, Wertho, as discussed, mate, we're, uh, we're really excited about having our next special guest and uh, we've already introduced him early on in the pod. So without further ado... Simon Mitchell, how are you? I'm good, gentlemen. How are you? We're, we're great doing this. We're, we're wondering what you're up to these days. We're, uh, you're no longer with the Phoenix. You, you, know, you left United years ago to go there. Where, where do we find you? Um, oh, you find me in a number of spots. Right now I'm doing some consulting work. Um, so, yeah, working with sporting um, NSOs and SSOs or state sporting um, organizations and national sporting organizations and just trying to help grassroots sports so yeah enjoying that um something a little bit different but obviously staying pretty uh pretty in uh tune with what's going on in uh, the nbl when you say grassroots sports i know that you work with lawn bowls australia um does grassroots start at like 70 or what, what's <laughs> what's grassroots for for lawn bowls mate uh, we, we work with all sorts of different sports, where they, but uh, yeah, the, <laughs> the, um, the the grassroots there may extend a little further on into the maturation of its participants, but um, you got to start somewhere, right? Uh, mate, hey, yeah, you know what? Talking of starting somewhere, I, I was talking to Wertho off air, and uh, I started my coaching career somewhere years and years ago, and by the time I I got to United, I'd been with the Tigers for two years, and we're trying to figure out where to start this conversation and 
for the weeks leading up to me getting the flick, I um, had been going through the process of figuring out who the absolute best person to get into United was. And after a long and exhaustive process, um, it was clearly you, um, which I was really, really excited about. And one of my <laughs> <laughs> one of my funniest coaching memories, I was pissed off at the time, but I walked off the court again, you know, after game one, we lost to the Cams Taipans. You were sitting on the end of the bench. You were there evaluating. We were due to go into the locker room and talk about training the next day and getting started. By the time I saw you, I'd been fired. Um, so it was an interesting introduction to United for you. Tell us your memories of getting on board and coaching in the NBL. Um, yeah, so that was coming back. Obviously, um, I, I was back in the old Melbourne Tigers day when you were gracing the floor and uh, dominating and, we're winning championships against Sydney. Actually, talk, let's, let's talk more about that. Yeah, sure. Yeah, no, if we want to stay there, we'll stick. Well, you've been a great guest, Simon. Thank you very much. <laughs> Thought we might go through all five games, but um, no. Uh, it, um, yeah, so, so, so your piece there, that, that, that was one of the weirdest experiences. I'm going to add to that because you went there the next day and, and I've rolled into the Melbourne United office. Um, and I'm, I'm in there, and, and the first person I run into is D-Mac, and, and we sit down, and we're just chilling and having a chat. And then uh, uh, management comes in and, and the whole conversation, and, and nobody had told me that um, that you were no longer with the club. Um, so I've turned up on my first day back in the NBL, and um, I'm wondering, geez, where's Chris? And uh, it was about 10 minutes. Really unprofessional. And uh, D-Mac said something like, oh, just, you know, it's great great to be working with you again, da-da-da-da. And I'm thinking, okay, just reflecting upon our time play when he was uh, playing and I was coaching. And, and, and he's like, oh, it's good to have you as my assistant. And I'm thinking, oh, yeah, okay, I guess I'm an assistant coach. I'll, I'll be his assistant as well. And it's about another five minutes of the conversation. I, I picked up that D-Mac, hang on a minute, are you coaching? <laughs> are you the coach now? And it was really weird um, and a great disappointment, not to, to, to assist D-Mac, but just that yourself and I never got to work together, Chris, in that in that um, setting because, um, yeah, I mean, we talked about it for a little while leading into that. Um, and when you say you'd scoured the earth looking for somebody, I think you just asked everybody and uh, everyone was busy. So um, finally it was my <laughs> step up. I was, I was at that Cairns game. It, was, it wasn't great um, and I had – about 25 pages of notes, and I was looking forward to sharing them with you the next day, and unfortunately it just didn't happen. So, yeah, it was um, strange beginnings back at Melbourne United. Look, uh, the two things I take from that is, uh, A, you watched too much of The Office because you thought you were going to be assistant to the regional manager there for a second. <laughs> Secondly, uh, I was part of that game um, against Cairns, and we can look back at stuff in hindsight. I mean, that's a team that, went to game three or game five of the grand final series. That was a very, very good team that season, uh, led by uh, Aaron uh, Fern that had Scotty Wilberkin in it, they were, and Tory Craig. Like, they were a very, very good basketball team. Um, but it was definitely a weird 48 hours, I'd say, post that loss. Um, a, Chris was not contactable not because he didn't want to talk to people, but because he fled up to Queensland and jumped into the water with his phone in his pocket because he's a dickhead. (laughs) (laughs) 
And uh, you had been in the same boat as what I am, uh, where you were concerned about your friend compared to what was actually happening around there. Do you remember your first conversation with Chris post all this happening? Oh, jeez. Should I, well, I actually don't. I've got a horrible memory for things like this. I can remember stuff from 1982 really well, but if you go back, you know, seven or five. Let, let, me ask you, let, let me ask you one that I hope you do remember because one of my favourite sort of ways to spend my basketball coaching time when I wasn't actively coaching, when I was an NBL coach, but I always sought opinion from outside the club as well for a completely transparent perspective and you always saw the college game really really well and we had quite a number of days where I'd drop into your place on Warrigal Road there and we'd sit and we'd watch film and we'd talk names and we'd yep. talk imports and I, I want I want you to correct me or figure I want to fact check my recollection of this story where I'll never forget you sat down and you came up with a name and you said, there's this kid who I really like, and you're a Michigan State fan and you're a Tommy Zoe fan, and you said, there's this guy there's, or there's a kid who's not going to go first round, but I think he'd be a really, really good fit in our league. He's undersized, he's a four-man, he doesn't shoot it well, but he's tough as nails, extraordinarily high IQ. And so I went and watched film on this guy. I'm like, God, yeah, tough. Mm. So I went to the club. I said, I think we've got a chance of signing this guy. And the club... <laughs> Let's not name names. I mean, Vince knows who he is. Um, he he told me that, no, nah, look, we, we, we can't get this guy. Not athletic enough. He's not a first-round draft pick. You know, wasn't quite sure. He didn't have the same vision you had for this guy that would end up getting drafted in the second round. Now, his name's Draymond Green. <laughs> and so, the, so Melbourne United actually said no and did not give us permission to try to recruit Draymond Green when he was on the market. And available for a chat. Is that? Do you remember this? Yeah, yeah, no, I do. I, I'm a huge Tommy Zoe fan, and um, I watched Draymond's, uh, Draymond's career at uh, Michigan State pretty closely. And um, yeah, look, I, I, I've done a little background check into and asked, spoke to some people back in the states. I said, you know, what's what's the likelihood of this guy getting drafted? And nobody was high on him. Um, you know, just was undersized, um, didn't shoot the ball particularly well, and, and and he just didn't fit the NBA mold. Um, and I just thought, I looked at him, I just thought, crikey, this bloke is just made for the NBL. Undersized, but he's mobile, but not incredibly athletic. He's not, you know, elbow on the rim or anything like that. So you're a chance to get somebody like that. And and I just thought with his on-court dexterity, just the, his all-round game, I just thought he would destroy our league. I might have been right. I think he's been had a pretty good NBA career, but... Um, <laughs> But yeah, I just got it wrong that he wasn't going to go to the NBA. Um, you know, he's he's had a wonderful career, and um, you know, I, I always thought those guys—you've got to find something in some someone who's got elite talent, but has something that's really unattractive to the NBA. Those are the guys I feel like you've got to go for. Whether they're too short or a half step slow, or they don't quite shoot the three ball well enough, um, you know, those are the guys that can come into our league. I think and do really well, but. Um, but yeah, I remember Draymond Green, and I remember talking to you about him over a couple of years one afternoon. And um, yeah, I was I was hoping you could get him because you know to, to land another Michigan State guy at uh, well Tigers slash um, United, it would have been pretty nice because the last bloke we had was pretty handy too. Dave Thomas, of course, you're talking about. Oh, um, um, can I just 
chime in. So you guys were actively trying to recruit over the top of me and bring Draymond Green to take my position. <laughs> I think it was more as a uh, as a undersized. Right. <laughs> okay, no, 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 it's all right. I just just wanted to point that out, but that's cool. You you probably it, look it it happened once before. The guy's name was PJ Tucker. And I didn't get my contract renewed in at Bros because I had this guy called PJ Tucker come in. Good, good business decision by Bros. Had you guys <laughs> bought Draymond Green, Green in, would have been a good business decision from United. So let's just keep it there. Yeah, well, I think it actually might have been the Tigers. I don't think it was the United. I think it was back in anyway, um, mate. So we let, let's talk about when you did you know, follow that up on your philosophy of how you recruited. Is that? the type of mentality you took you i'd love to hear more and everyone who listens to this loves the, the in-depth stuff about you got the head coaching role at phoenix um i, I guess my it's a, it's a bunch of questions wrapped into one and we'll just let you talk were you surprised to get it because i know that there are a lot of names being thrown out and the responsibility of being the inaugural head coach of a startup franchise that mindset about bringing those type of imports in? Who do you target as an Australian? How do you build the club that's understaffed from the ground up and try to be competitive year one? I thought what you're able to do and the, the foundation you set for the Phoenix was incredible, but it's got to have been hard. Um, all right, yeah, so it's a bit to sort of fill in there. So I'll go back. Firstly, was I surprised? I, I was kind of in a, in the perfect situation. You know, I was assistant at M, MU, and um, and I'd finally, after a couple of I guess unsettling seasons, I felt like we finally found ourselves as as a club um, when when Dino came on board. But but just as much as Dean, it was um, you know Trent Hotton and and guys like that who were coming in and building the leadership, and and I felt like we had the the playing um, group where it needed to be um, to to really have a crack at the championship and we won the championship that year and um well my, my final season there well, i guess i had one game in the following season um but uh yeah it, it was it was there and, and and i was i was I remember being at the, the the melbourne training and getting a phone call from tommy greer and saying oh look we'd like you to come in and interview and i was like oh, yeah right whatever um i'll come in i'll interview and if i do well and get another one great if i don't well i care i've just got a championship team here i'm working with a you know, a mate of mine in Vico who had been known each other since we were kids. And, um, yeah, I was just in a really good place um, at, at Melbourne United. So, for me, there was absolutely no pressure. Um, and and it's a fun, it was a funny interview process too because uh, we had the blitz up in, um, uh, oh, geez, where was it? I think it was, we were in Ballarat. And, um, and I drove down for it and I forgot my belt and I've gone into the interview and I didn't have a belt and my pants were loose and the pants are falling down. During the, it was like the all-time worst interview and I was like, ah, whatever, I don't care. I'll go back to Melbourne United. We've we got a good team. We're going to win it. And, um, and anyways, uh, as, as it, you know, pants held up long enough to, to actually do well and get the job. But, um, yeah, my memories of that are my pants falling down and driving back to Ballarat to watch Collingwood flog uh, Richmond in a preliminary final. So, um, yeah, all, all was well. It was um, it was good. But, yeah, it, it was um, it was exciting. Um, I, I live in the southeastern suburbs of, of, um, of Melbourne and um, I didn't grow up there, contrary to what's is often said. Um, I grew up in um, Watsonia, um, out in the northeastern suburbs. And, um, yeah, so I guess um, 
I'd worked in at Frankston Association, um, the, the Sabres, Sandringham Sabres previously, now Southern Sabres, and also with Knox Raiders. So I had a little bit of presence in the southeast, um, which I know that was looked upon favourably. And there's okay, he understands the the area. Um, he's got good connections into the clubs, um, and that could help with you know building a support. Um, and also just some local knowledge and who, who's some people that um, on the on the outside that we can bring in, so some physios, medical staff, those sorts of things. So um, I think there was a little bit of uh, an advantage, I guess, for me going in there. And, you know, I'm probably not one to sort of toot my own horn or, or go out there and publicise myself. So I was probably a little bit under the radar, which is probably, I know for a lot of people, would have been like, who's this guy? You know, how did he get this job? But um yeah, I guess that was probably the the angle that they were looking for. Um, that you know, the southeast is the home of basketball in Australia, um, not just Melbourne or not just Victoria. It's just you know, it's a huge um, area for basketball. So, um, just having that inside knowledge and, and obviously coming off a championship, um, you know, it was my time to have a go. I guess. Can and- I can I ask about um, the rivalry between the Phoenix and Melbourne United and? I go back to my playing days when it was the Dragons and Melbourne Tigers. And Chris was always very vocal of saying it's not a rivalry because they haven't won anything. And, you know, it nothing would, they hadn't played a game of importance to that date, even though there was that manufactured, like Melbourne versus Melbourne sort of team. We um, played games that were important to you. <laughs> no, well, no, the games became important once I became a dragon. Um, so uh, how did that, the throwdown, like the, 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 the feeling that we got when Creaky dunked on Delhi and there was a bit of a scuffle afterwards, like what was your message to the guys about the rivalry between the Phoenix and United uh, when you started coaching? Well, I guess first and foremost, like, you know, the, the people that were involved in the in, in the two clubs, you know, myself and Tommy, and there was a little bit of some of the Melbourne United guys come over and Eric Collinsworth, um, and there was sort of shared knowledge um, and friendships there. And, and one of the things we did talk about beforehand is like, oh, jeez, you know, we have to talk a bit of shit about each other in the press and, and, and ham it up a little bit. Um, because you do, you, you've got to you've got to build that rivalry and, and ahead of time. And, and, and rivalries genuinely take place once you're in finals and you're playing against each other. Um, and it didn't take long for the Dragons to to, to um, assert themselves and and um, and become a legitimate rival for, for the Melbourne Tigers back in the day. And and so yeah, there may have been a, a little bit of um, oh, pantomime to it all in the beginning, but it, it it didn't take long. I think the fact that we won the first game. Um, against them, and you know they, they're coming off a grand final series the year before and a championship the year before that, and they're kind of like, well, who are these upstarts? You know, what's this bullshit? <laughs> this team, it's expansion team, their first game, they've un, you know, unseated the champ or one of the, the runners up at least. And um, so I think just because of that result and the fact that we were relatively competitive in that first season was uh, was okay. Well, th- from their perspective, I'm pretty sure they would have been like, well, we want to keep a foot on these blokes. Um, and, and not let them grow, and, and for us, to, for Melbourne United to be the, the big dogs in town, and, and for us, it was sort of like, well, no, we want what they've got, um, and we're willing to do whatever we can to get it. And uh, so, I think that it grew quickly. Um, obviously, the uh, the 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 creaky dunk on Dally took it to another level. 
Um, you know, like Melbourne United uh, cleared their bench on that one and somehow they still got the shoot technical foul up the other end. So, yeah, you know, things happen. But, um, uh, yeah, I think it's a genuine rivalry. It's good to now. see you've let things go, Simon. Oh, look, I remember the crappy things in life sometimes and maybe that's why I'm sitting with you blokes instead of still coaching um, because it does weigh you down a little bit. But, yeah, no, that one always sort of stuck in my craw that, you know, they had four or five guys leave the bench. They should have been facing suspensions, but somehow they got a free throw out of it. But that's life. Mate, well, you're there four seasons. You're at the Phoenix, weren't you? You're there for yep. four seasons. Um, yeah. One of the conversations I've had with Wertho was you were so you were, you you're a great you're a really good team but you were so close to being a genuine contender and you know most recently when you were coaching you couldn't get Ryan Brock off on the floor but your record when you had a full team was exceptional at, at what stage and it's sort of it's a question in and around high performance and it's something that the Phoenix just haven't historically been able to do is to put their entire roster on the floor to compete and at, in your mind, now that you've left the job, is that something that you saw as not an excuse but a reason to not quite getting to where perhaps the club wanted to be? And secondly, at what stage does high performance cross with the most important part of that being performance? The job of high performance is to get them on the court to be able to perform. Yeah, I think sometimes you, you probably dealt it a rough hand. And I think you know everyone talks about the, the equality in the league. Um, and I think to an extent it does exist. There's obviously teams that have you know better resources than, than others, and um, but for the most part, I think the playing lists are relatively even. Um, so you need a little bit of luck to go your way. Um, and, and, and you know maybe we weren't on the right end of that. I mean, I go back to our first season. Um, not that anyone would remember, but during the preseason, you know, we had Ty Wesley on the team, um, and he was playing the role that we ended up giving to Creaky, who's obviously gone on to really star and not to say that Creaky would have been starred anyways but that role that we created for Ty Wesley initially um, which became Creaky is, was um, because Ty was such a wonderful passer and really high IQ and we wanted the ball in his hands to make really good decisions and and he was destroying everybody in preseason. and if you go back to our first game of the competition he had 10 points in the first five minutes then tore his hamstring was never the player the same player for the rest of the year and um and uh, yeah, and then retired. <laughs> so, so look, it, it didn't didn't start ideally. Um, but Ty came in with a with a, a hamstring injury that um, that he got in Puerto Rico. Um, it was managed well, but it came back to bite him. Um, so yeah, a bit of bad luck there. Um, obviously, Dane Pinot had his issues throughout the course in Rowdy, and, and and we've had some bad luck with the imports and their health as well. But. Um, but, yeah, look, that's just basketball. You know, you've got to try and build your team. I, I felt like the, our second year in the league when we went and got um, Ken Glidden and Ruben Tarangi, what we learnt from our first year was, okay, we need to be deeper. You know, we need to have a, a deeper bench um, and we need to go 9, 10 deep so we can sustain or, or absorb, I should say, um, you know, some of the bad luck that we had. Um we were able to absorb it to an extent, but we made the, the, the semi-final that year and we were probably a little unlucky in the Melbourne United series to, to, to not get through. Um, but just prior to that series, Ken Glidden had a baby um, and, and Rowdy um, was was injured 
and, and those two didn't play in the lead-ups to the finals, and then during the finals they were pretty ineffective because they just didn't have the the the, uh, the opportunity to get in in the swing of things. So, yeah, look, there was probably a bit of bad luck that year as well. But um, look, it's part of the game. Um, it is important. The, the quality of the league means that you have to have your players on the floor as much as possible. Um, I even go back to that year and think of the Sydney Kings because I know that we had 90-something games we missed through injury that year, and I think Sydney had you know two or three more games than us. And, um, and that was 40s year at Sydney. And that's his first year in the league, and then he's gone. He's out of the league. Um, and you think of all the injuries that they sustain and, you know, the hand he was dealt, um, obviously he's had his, another chance at Cairns. Um, he's doing wonderfully up there. But, you know, those are the things that you sort of like, geez, you, you are uh, on call to the basketball gods at some times. You know, it's just you need to, you need to have a bit of luck. Um, but, yeah, that's that's things. That's that's basketball. At the end, of it, I just got frustrated with it and it took its toll on me mentally. I must admit, I the, the, to go back to our very first story, the, the one thing that happened before... Melbourne United's first game the, the week before Steve Dennis, who I thought was an MVP candidate for the league, snapped his Achilles. Yeah. And so we're without a starting point guard for game one on top of all of the things you mentioned. So I, I, I tend to agree. But, uh, mate, when we did catch up, you said you hadn't had a holiday in four years and you needed a break and you needed to take a breath. It's, yeah, the challenges involved with, with what you did, clearly, but we're probably not allowed to have favourites as a coach, but we all know we do. Talk about maybe your favourite memories from your time with the Phoenix and are you allowed to have a favourite player now that you've stepped away or a couple of favourite players? Um, favourite players? Uh, well, f- favourite memories, like the first game. Um, I, I really value the, the time um, at the Phoenix and, and, and the relationships with people and, and it's not necessarily the players. It's, it, it, I mean, the players we had good relationships with as well, but... Um, you know, some, sometimes it's the staff as well, you know, the, the people who work in the front office. Um, and and I, I think of the very early days, because um, we started the year before we actually got on the floor. Um, and there was you know, probably six or seven or eight of us in, in the offices there in uh, Wonturno. And um, I just remember those days and really enjoying the company of the people that, that we were bringing in. And, and that was one of the, you know, it's been well documented that, Myself and Tommy, when we were, we were sort of building it, um, we had the no dickhead rule, and, and it was like everybody who came into the place. We were really sort of, okay, is this someone we want to work with? Is this someone who's gonna has got a skill set that can enhance the club and and those sorts of things? And and, and there was a few that didn't, and they all moved on, um, and pretty quickly too. Um, but I, I, over the time, I thought we got most of that right, um, and I thought we built the foundation to be a you know a really good basketball franchise. And I think some of the, you know, like some of the, the shit that you cop, um, you know, like, well, you should have won this or you should have won that or you should have had a championship in your first four years, all that sort of stuff. It's like, well, I actually take it as a, a badge of honour, you know, because at the end of the day, it's like, well, people are actually thinking pretty highly of what you've built. Um, and, and if you're able to disappoint them, then that's probably not such a, a horrible thing compared to, you know, they have no expectations and they could care less on how you go. I mean, there are clubs like that that do exist and have existed. Um, where it's like, well, they don't expect anything from them. So, um, you know, my favourite games were first, certainly the first game to, to beat Melbourne United um, in a full house. Um, was, was an, And just the, not, the night was amazing. Um, and we announced ourselves as having arrived, but 
the games sort of meld into each other and, 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 and for me, it's just the relationships. The players, I don't think I've had a player that I, that I haven't liked that, it's, that came through the place. Again, it comes back to our philosophy. You know, we bring people in that we, we, we value as people. Um, now, look, relationships get strained for a number of different reasons because it's high um, performance. You know, there's always pressure and there's people who want to play 40 minutes and there's people that you want to make jump shots and they're not making jump shots and all those things. And it builds pressure in relationships. But I, I don't think anyone's walked out of Phoenix um, uh, from my standpoint anyways where I was like, geez, I'm glad to see the back of them. Um, so, yeah, I've enjoyed my time with all of them. Speaking about... Speaking about relationships, um, the new coach of the Phoenix is someone that you've got a really good relationship with in Mike Kelly. Someone Pat. that was yeah, no, we're no uh, longer friends. No, no longer friends. <laughs> well, I mean, you guys, you guys were good assistant. You were assistants together at MU under Dean, yeah. um, but there's no relationship there anymore. No, I'm kidding, man. I love yeah. Mike to death. He's uh, he's the he's the uh, he's everybody's best friend in basketball. He's just a ripping bloke, and uh, I was really really happy for him to to, to succeed me at uh, at the Phoenix. How is it now that you've stepped away? What, how's your evaluation of the league? I'm fascinated. We sort of sit back, having been removed for it from a long time, and have opinions way from way afar. But not you, Blake. Surely. <laughs> how, how, how do you see? the state of the NBL on a global scale, how our style of play sort of sets up players to succeed in other leagues around the world. I mean, it's a really open-ended question, but there's always been a lot of talk about the NBL being the second best league in the world. We think it's the second most appealing. Where, where do you see it? Yeah, I think that's probably a differentiation there between best and appealing. Uh, and even that can be debated at times, especially if we get rounds like we've had this round um, with those heavy whistles. But, um, yeah, look, firstly, the league from where it was and you guys were around um, when it was bleeding and, and not doing well and you were there when it started to turn the corner. Um, what Larry was able to accomplish in taking over this was unbelievable and, 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 and the speed for which he revitalised the league was, was amazing. Um, uh, so the league is going great guns. Um, I think the, the fan engagement the entertainment aspect, although I'd like them to turn the music down. I love my music loud, but it's got to be good music. Um, <laughs> you can turn it down a little bit and maybe focus a little bit more on the basketball, but that's just not modern sport, man, unfortunately, for, for us diehards. But um, I think it's really appealing. Um, I think it's fun to watch. Uh, and obviously, when you spend time at Summer League or over in the US for whatever reason and you're talking to coaches and scouts and GMs and all these um, and agents, and they rave about our league and speed of the league, and it's the most like the NBA, um, the way it's played. Um, it's certainly a great springboard, and we've seen that for, for young players to, to, to come into our league and then progress. Um, we're not the second-best league in the world, despite we can scream it from the mountain as long as we want. We're just not. Um, but we are very appealing, and I think we've found our own niche and. uh I think we're a hell of a league, and I think it's a great league to watch. One of the one of the one of the programs that, that I think's been an incredible addition to the NBL is the Next Start program. I'm I've been strongly of the, of the belief that you've almost got to make a choice. Do you select an All Star who's going to have a, a prominent role in your team, or do you select to try to win a championship? I'm not sure you can do both. How 
How was your view on recruiting next stars when you were coaching? How do you see not the program itself, but the impact the actual players have on the league and your ability to win with them as part of your rotation? Well, we, we only had the one, and that was Terry Armstrong, and that was our first year, and it was more of a, hey, do you guys want to take a next star? I'm like, what's the next star? Okay, sure, yeah, we'll take one. Um, and here's a 30-second video. Do you want this guy we need to know in two hours? Um, so it was kind of like, well, you know, what the heck? Let's just roll the, car, roll the dice and see what happens. Um, we had no idea really what Terry was going to bring to the table. There's very little video of him. You know, he's coming out of high school. Um, when we met with Terry in Vegas, um, he was a really quiet kid, but it was clearly just a freak of an athlete. Um, so that that standpoint, it was really exciting. Um, but he was like just – it's almost like you, you're taking a kid and teaching him how to play the sport all over again when they make their first step into the professional rank. You know, things like diet, um, rest, uh, recovery, all these things these kids have no idea about. And so we had to sort of reconstruct – who he was as a player. Unfortunately for Terry, he got injured in preseason and played very little um, leading in and it hampered him. But he was just starting to come good at practice towards the end of the season. And it would have been nice to, 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 to see him at full health because his athleticism was ridiculous. Um, his skill sets were not really of the modern game. He could get himself on the rim a little bit, but he was skinny, but so he wasn't great at finishing through contact. And he didn't have a three-point shot to save himself so um you know he didn't really fit our system and what we were trying to do um but again you know young kid i was happy to see him um i'm glad that he spent the time with us uh, i hope to see him do do well in the future he hasn't had the great career that um that a lot of people had uh i guess um projected him for but uh you know that can turn around um and you, and you never bought another next star in you, you yeah we, opportunity. Did. we were really close on a number of occasions um but you, you touched upon it it was our goal was to win a championship in four years um well, it might have been five years i gave us four um and for me to, I, I felt a great um sense of responsibility to the kids that you got to put these guys on a platform to help them get to where they need to get to. Um, but at the same time, I, I had an even greater responsibility to Creaky, Tommy Greer, um, everybody else in the organisation to go win games and put us in a position to potentially win a championship. So the, it had to be, for me, it had to be an alignment that the kid can come in, play a role, um, or I wasn't going to go down that road. Um, there was one that we looked really closely at um, Two years ago, um, and, and, and he chose um, he chose to, to play in uh, Euroleague instead. Um, he didn't actually do very well, and I think he probably made a mistake um, and didn't get drafted. And I think he was someone that we could have really used. Simon, we've spoken a lot about basketball, but let's get real. You've got a passion for music. Yeah. And you've got a passion for music that most people can't stand. Yeah. Um, <laughs> where does this love of music and death metal and uh, screaming down a microphone come from? Yeah, look, I'm pretty diverse actually with my musical taste. So I always tell people if it's got a guitar, I'll listen. If the guitar's the main instrument, I'll listen to it. So I can listen to early Bob Dylan. The guitar is front and center, along with his harmonica and voice. But uh, anything that's from anything from Dylan to Slayer, I'm happy with. Um, but yeah, look, I've been into music my whole life. Um, like going back to 
my very early childhood, ages four or five, I can remember seeing Kiss on TV for the first time and it blew my mind. I wanted to wear white kabuki makeup and, and be in the band. Um, I had an aunt that lived in, that worked in the, the music industry as well. Um, so she started, uh, you know, spoon feeding me some, some albums. Um, I remember getting Judas Priest, Sad Wings of Destiny as a really young guy and just thinking, and to this day, it's still my favourite album, uh, and just absorbing all these different sounds. I just fell in love with the guitar and the sound of the guitar and, and all those sorts of things. And and to this day, it's still, if I had a, 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 even a remote um, ability to play at, at, at any sort of competent level, I, I would have ditched basketball in a second and, um, and would have died on the road somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> out in the in the midwest of america chasing my dream probably but um but yeah no i love my music uh i bought four concert tickets last week it's uh it's a big part of my my life again um you know i've been listening to music all day with an empty office and, and it's just something that i love and, and i'm very passionate about something else i know you love and your wife karen uh is involved or has been involved in the WNBL for a long time um, we do like to, to shine a lot on the women's game as well, as often as we possibly can. Their season tipped off last week and just flicked through Twitter um, and you've written that. You pops the next level athlete in the WNBL, so much potential. I'd be giving her an Opals jersey next chance we get. Yeah, why not? In, in nine months' time? Yeah, why not? I, I think that we don't have an athlete like that um, or too many that have come through the, the WNBL of, of her level. Now, she's raw ass. Don't get me wrong. Like, there's a lot of growth in, in that young lady. Um, uh, but her level of athlete, her speed, um, she, you know, when she goes to block a shot, she's leaving the floor. It's not just sort of like she's off the ground and swatting the ball, you know, 10 rows deep. And it's just like, okay, this is a level of athleticism that we, we, we don't have in our Opals team right now. Um, but also very understanding. I may have just been a, a little bit biased there, but also understanding that there's a long way for her to go in, in, in her um, understanding of the sport. Um, you know, she's very raw. She's in the wrong spots a lot of the time, but she's just got that ability to make it up with her length and athletic ability. And that excites me because we just, you know, you see the growth of the sport throughout the years. I, I started going to the NBL back in its inaugural season. Um, used to go watch St Kilda play uh, when I was a little kid. And, and just seeing, you know, like we had Larry Singstock jump in centre that year at St Kilda and, you know, like six, seven guys. It's just the, 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 the sport has just grown and you just see different moments of players who come into the league. You're just like, okay, they're taking it to another spot. Um, and I feel like she's got the potential to take the WNBL if we can keep her in it for, for you know, a reasonable time period to another level. Um, and she excites me. Um, but yeah, I love the WNBL. Always have watched it um, since its uh, inception um, as well. And and um, you know, I'm, I'm a basketball junkie, and, and you know, like I admire those athletes as much as I admire any other athletes, um, whether it be NBA, NBL. Um, you know, their, their dedication to their crafts exceptional. Well, while we're on it, I went to the the Flyers Boomers game uh, on the weekend, and. One other thing, the Australian women's game doesn't have, in my opinion, a legitimate point guard, a genuine point guard who's shifty. Our point guards tend to play in straight lines. And somebody asked me years ago who my favourite point guard was in the Australian women's game. I said, Georgia Amor. Um, I've been beating her drum now for a couple of years. I think she should be another one who 
maybe even this year as well for that exact reason, put her on the Olympic squad, give her a shot to earn her. You know, she's dominating over at Virginia Tech. I think she's top 10 on the WNBA draft board at the moment and she's come a long way. Um, so we've got some great young talent out there in the WNBL as well as the NBL and it's great that you get to see both of them. She's exceptional. Um, you know, watching her in the NCAA tournament last year, just doing what she did. Amazing talent. I will say we've got one point guard I'm extremely fond of up in Townsville, in Steph Reed. Um, you, know, you had her at Frankston, didn't you? Yeah, you know, me and Steph go back a little and, um, yeah, I've um, spent a lot of time with her through the years, but I feel like she's the the one genuine point guard that we have. I don't get it. Yeah, we, we seem to be – we've got – placeholders in that position um, or it's like, okay, well, you're the shortest player. Well, I guess you're the point guard. Um, the actual skill set, uh, the dynamics re- required of a point guard, I'm not sure we've had for a number of years. I mean, Lilani um, obviously possessed those. I'm talking about the Australian born and raised um, the that came through the system and it probably goes back to Christy really um, being the last one of, of, of that era. And, and I think Steph is that player. Um, but she's smaller of stature, and I'm not sure how that holds her up. Um, but, I mean, you know, China, Japan, it's not like, uh, you know, they're dominant forces now, and it's not like they're, uh, they're six-footers in the backcourt. So I feel like there's a place for her. But, yeah, I think Georgia's an amazing young talent coming through the ranks, and, and she's going to give herself a shot. Uh, you've been prominent on Twitter slash X since uh, you're no longer coaching, and I like your takeaways for the round that you you post um putting you on the spot i'd like one takeaway from the nbl season so far one takeaway from the wmbl season and one nba takeaway that you've taken so far goodness gracious okay that is putting me on the spot let's go with the nba one for for starters um this in season tournament those courts have got to go they suck yes thank Um, you that, that's my takeaway from that. Other than I, I don't watch a lot of NBA, um, I will take the games and I have the every intention to watch them. Um, but I, I've got two kids that are currently playing basketball. So there's a couple of uh, – there's, there's four, five, six hours every single week that I've got to dedicate to getting them to trainings and then there's the games and then there's the, all the NBL. Um, but the one thing that, 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 that I absolutely adore about the NBA is the Joker. I just think he's an all-timer. He's already a top five, uh, he's a top six centre for me, which is really hard for me to say because that means I've got to plug him in ahead of my favourite player of all time, Moses Malone. So um, just watching him, it just makes me smile. I just smile. Uh, The way he runs, his goofiness, his his IQ, his passing ability, he's such a throwback and I, I just adore watching him play. So that's my one NBA thing. Um, oh, WNBL, uh, what I do like, and uh, this is kind of a backhanded um, compliment. It seems like from what I've seen so far, and it's obviously the season's just started, the, they've pulled it back a little bit in the, um, in the production value. Um, and I don't think that's a bad thing because last year I thought it was unwatchable where they're trying to zoom in all the time as a player's coming up the floor and is throwing different camera angles. And you're just like, 
man, am I watching a music video here? I've got a two-second attention span from this camera, and then we've got to go to this other camera. It's just unwatchable. It was horrible. And our WNBL athletes and coaches and administrators deserve much better than what the production value was last year. Now, I think it might even be below NBL 1 standard, what I saw on the weekend, where they've just got the one stationary camera or the two stationary cameras in the same spot. One will zoom in at timeouts and after fouls or after a bucket, but they just go from side to side, which is not bad for a guy like me who just wants to watch the game. I enjoy watching it. I don't need the, the super camera angle. So um, let, let's, get those, let's get that league up where it needs to be. Uh, they need greater production, greater TV presence. Um, we have a world-class league, and I'm watching all these other sports that don't have world-class leagues in Australia in the women's side taking off, and, and our women deserve better, and our basketball women, I mean by that. Um, so I'd really love to see um, BA uh, shell out and, and put a product together or at least maybe find someone who can. Um, my NBL takeaway right now is that I think we're maybe playing a brand of basketball that is leaning a little heavy to the NBA um, for my liking. There's too much shooting off the first, you know, too much drag screen, going to let it go. Too much double drag, going to let it go. It's a punch screen, I'm going to shoot it. Um, too much ISO ball. I'd love to see that ball singing a little bit. Um, that's that's kind of stuck with me for now for five weeks. I try to be really positive on, on my Twitter and say, well, here's five things I like and here's two things I think could you know, do with some work. But that's the one that's sticking with me, and I don't know if it's just the shortened preseason, the teams haven't developed that, but even the good teams seem to be chucking up a lot of shit, and I just feel like it's, um, you know, I'd love to see that ball singing a little more. The last question we've got for you, mate, and, and this has been unreal, is that, and it's one we ask all of our guests, so you talk about putting you on the spot for those three. Here's, here's one for you. Heaven's arriving at the end of your life and realising that the story you've written with that life is a story someone would read. So the question is, what's the chapter of your life you'd like most people to know about or the most important lesson you've learnt that you'd like to share? Oh, goodness. I should probably listen to your podcast all the way through each and every time so I knew this question was coming. <laughs> um, the chapter of my life. Or the <laughs> lesson you've learnt that you'd like to share and you think that everyone should know. Yeah, look, I, I, think, the, the, I think authenticity is really important. I think um, being yourself and when you're a young person trying to find your way, you, you gravitate into different groups and different areas of life. And and um, I, I was really lucky to grow up where I did. I, some of my closest friends today are guys that I've known since I was a real little kid and, I was, you know, from the old neighbourhood. And uh, one, one thing about growing up in an old, rugged, bogan neighbourhood was that if you got out of line, you'd be stitched up pretty quick um and, and it was about you know hey that's not who you are or you know you're acting out this is not the way to behave and, and we're always sort of kept each other in line and, and i feel like just being true to yourself um is really important you know like the music i listen to is where they graciously put it, it's not very popular um I, I just like to say it's very select um that it's, you know, the one thing I don't have is problem getting concert tickets because no one else is going to see the bands I like. <laughs> but, you know, like, 
there's a lot of people who are willing to, to kiss ass, um, do things because they feel like it's the way it's supposed to be done, um, but not being true to themselves. So I, I think I'm pretty authentic. Um, I, I don't think I'm cookie cutter. I've pretty strong opinions on certain things. Um, you know, there's people in basketball in all walks of life that you, you know what their answer to a question is going to be because it's going to be so politically correct and straight down the line and and, and it's just, it's, it's, it's boring. Um, you know, that and when they're reeling off their answers to things, you're like, there's just no passion there. It's just so crafted and, and whatnot. And, you know, they're not being true to themselves. Uh, you know, so for me, I think it's just about be true to yourself, be honest, be... Um, and be good to the other people, you know, the people that you share your time with. Um, you know, if there's one thing I'm proud of in my life, and you guys are going to have a giggle at this, but you know, like, there's obviously lots to be proud of and got a wonderful family, all those sorts of things. But uh, I actually got to share the earth with Lemmy Kilmister from Motorhead. When you think of the millions of years that our earth has been in existence, my time was his time. He's left it, but I got to share some of it. So that's that to me is uh, pretty darn special. That's uh, absolutely authentic. Simon Mitchell, we've loved having you on, mate. Um, we hope that everyone listens all the way to the end, unlike yourself, so they get to hear that piece of advice and get to reflect. But uh, appreciate you coming on, mate. Uh, it's good to see you gentlemen again. Um, thanks for having me. Good for the chat. And uh, where they be on time next time. No worries. <laughs> 